This is Adia. And Aisha. Join us on this podcast journey where we have an existential crisis one episode at a time so you don't have to. But why do that on a podcast, you ask? Because it's better than journaling. Okay. So get comfy and fill your teacup with whatever it is you drink because it's time for an episode of Better Than Journaling. Good morning, Miss Aisha. Good morning, Miss Adia. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good. It's early. We're early today, so it is early. It is early fresh today. Fresh from a shower, fresh from a walk. Got some energy. There you go. This is definitely uh, my magic hours. Um, where I feel like I can do anything and I get lots of things done in a very short period of time. You catch me in the evening and it's hard to string sentences together. So this <laughs> is good. <laughs> I'm yeah. good. I'm a, I'm a morning person. I'm good in the morning between like, I don't know, 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., 11. I'm pretty good. In the middle of the day, I think, you know, my roots are, are, are somewhat in a Latin country where siestas are important. Yeah. And so like, I don't know, from like 12 to three, those aren't good hours for me. And then somewhere around four, I pick back up and then I'm good from like four to 10. Got it. Yeah. I don't know what my sec- if I have a second wave or not. I think I'm, I know I'm really good early morning for the first several hours of the morning. Um, and I think I get like playful and loose kind of in the mid afternoon. But if it's like after four o'clock, five o'clock, I mean, I'm still able to be a human being, but as far as really fun, creative ideas, they are probably spit, you know? So (laughs) you're going to get the old crusty, dusty, recycled ones probably in the afternoon, late afternoon, early evening time. So it depends on what you're looking for, I guess. You know, this Uh, is- Siesta sounds fantastic though. I could siesta every day. I I agree. Uh, You know, what's funny is I am better at working by myself in the morning. Like if I'm going to be creative and energetic and do do some things, I'm better at working by myself in the, in the morning. In the evening, I am worse at working by myself. I'm too distractible, but I can do projects with people in the evening really well. Yeah, that's, that's probably true of me as well. Working by myself, I'm less focused, less, less I don't know, motivated. Um, I think I just, it's, it's harder for me to stay engaged in the evening. In the evening, I need to be able to meander between different things. I should not have deadlines in the evenings. I shouldn't be trying to meet deadlines in the evenings for sure. I should be trying to meet deadlines in the mornings because I am blowing through them, okay? Even if I'm doing multiple tasks in the morning, I'm still getting all of them done all at, you know, at the same time, which is wild. Yeah. In the evening though, like it needs to be just like, we're letting things settle in. Maybe we're contemplating things. <laughs> making dinner. Like that's the task yes, for the evening. That's the task of the something. evening is playing with dogs, making dinner, washing my behind. Those are the things that we'll get done. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> we are fully into summer. It's official. Where was it? The third yeah. day of July. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm excited. We're in it. Uh, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago since we had summer in San Diego. I'm not going to lie. However, 
uh, I'm looking forward to this summer. I don't know. It's looking gorgeous every morning when I wake up outside. This feels very promising. Yeah, it feels, I don't know. I have this, and I think we talked about this before. I can't remember what episode we talked about. Like, are you living in the present or the future or the past? I always get super anxious. Like it's almost over. It's already July 3rd. Like summer's going to be over before you know it. And I'm like already nervous about it. I almost texted you yesterday a picture of my new garden beds that Maya and I put together yesterday. So I'm super or excited. Our, our like, new garden beds. <laughs> yes. our new garden beds. They're like eight feet long and two feet wide. Yes. And, um, so I need to ask the gardener to put down the mesh thing so that so the gophers don't get to them. And then I'll put some dirt in them. And then you can come over and and make me sustainable. <laughs> that is <laughs> make it so that I can right. live off the fat of the land. Absolutely. Oh. Mm-hmm. Got a whole chart of like planting seasons, growing seasons, harvesting. Ugh. We're going to have like a, a nice little uh, wave of produce coming in. I love that. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Look at you taking steps. That's what's That's up. my so cool. summer project to start that, to get it going. That's what's up. Congratulations. Nicely done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, gardening is definitely incredibly therapeutic. And I didn't, you know, everything in its own time, right? You're not supposed to understand or see or get things before you're supposed to understand, see, or get things. And my mom has all, since I met the lady, she's always had a garden of some sort. Uh, in my childhood home, she had lots of roses and I don't know if she planted it or if it was there when we got, got into the house, but uh, there was a like huge like plum tree in the backyard. And then the home that I grew up in, she had all kinds of things. She had um, peaches and apples and nectarines and I think she had an avocado and all kinds of flowers and just a ton of different kinds of plants. I mean, don't get me wrong. It kind of, it definitely looked like a Jamaican <laughs> garden, right? Like there was no like real, it wasn't like aesthetically pleasing, but she loved it and she spent hours back there. And now uh, the last house and then this house that she has now, um, all of them have, that's one thing that I will say is the running theme is like she dedicates hours upon hours in her garden and now I get it like now I have all these plants and I'm like they just multiply and it's it's really important for me to take time and spend time taking care of them it's incredibly like calming and peaceful and wonderful to watch something grow and develop and change and sometimes you kill things that's okay um but you learn what you're good at and what can survive in your climate and your environment and what is too stressful for you so yeah, I think I'm excited for you about this gardening adventure. Uh, it, it, it can be tough and challenging. Don't get me wrong. And frustrating because you're going to be fighting them bugs and outside bugs. Why do you have an inside bug? But then outside bugs, because them outside bugs are uh, legit. Like they have a strategy. Yeah. So definitely um, it'll be fun though. It'll be fun adventures. See, that's enough to make me want to give up. Bugs is enough to make me want to give up. <laughs> you know what finally, what finally pushed me in this direction besides that I've been talking about for I don't know two years that I want to do something like this is my son uh, who is almost 17 is autistic and he uh, struggles to find things that are calming and regulating to him and what we have found is that watering things is calming and regulating to him so I was like maybe we should plant some things so that he could have some things to water because our, our 
our yard is pretty self-sustainable right now. Like all of it is on a drip system. So the trees are getting watered. It doesn't actually need our help, right? So I need to actually do something that if he's going to do it, it has to feel meaningful. So watering the plants that are already getting watered by the sprinklers, probably not helpful. So that's why I decided, okay, let me get this and put it out there. And he has a, a therapist that comes to the house twice a week that will help him do things. And they went to the nursery last week and bought some carrot seeds and some corn seeds and one other, oh, lettuce seeds. So uh, I think that this will also help that he'll have, you know, a guy to do it with. This is the first time my son in all of his life has had a black provider, but he has an African-American like 20 something therapist who took him to the nursery to look at, at seeds and plants, which is really cool. So it's gonna be a project for us, for, for me and Jaden and for Jaden and his therapist to work on mm, together. That's lovely. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that will be fun. And that'll be uh, doubly beautiful, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'll touch my heart. Don't touch my soul, Miss Aisha. Touched your soul. Yeah, no, that touched my soul. I did, that's, that's um, like life, you know, bringing life, uh, sustaining like you said sustainability so it'll sustain him and he will sustain it and it'll be a beautiful cycle that's lovely I hope so that's what I'm looking forward to him getting excited about things growing and changing out there I'm not crying you're crying I'm not crying you're crying it'll be cool <laughs> or we'll give up on it you know that could happen too that's also true it, but what's most likely true is that both will happen that it will be lovely you will give up on it because it'll be painful and then you'll go back to it and it'll be a cycle it's it's that's more likely of what will happen is that you will experience all of the things and that will be beautiful too um joy hope tragedy yeah it which <laughs> brings to mind something i've been thinking about miss aisha what's that the idea of um, who we parts of who we are and whether or not it can be attributed should be attributed to uh, trauma that we've experienced hmm. or if it's just part of our character if it is the trauma that caused it or is this just part of our character and you know in the sense that, you know, it, 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 I initially thought about it in the midst of a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago who was really frustrated by um, a family member's behavior. And um, I think, you know, they kind of, I've had it up to here type of a thing. And, you know, the more they kind of share uh, about this person, their dynamic, their dynamic that they have with them, um, obviously there are some signs, you know, some evidence of trauma there. And also part of their character that you know had been there maybe before the trauma or who knows historically speaking um and so that wasn't necessarily like fun or lighthearted. however i did see of course on the social medias a meme and it said something to the effect of i, don't, I didn't save it but um it was uh something about um the childhood trauma you experienced like either crushes you or, or makes you funny or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I will I say, love I that. Laugh. It crushes you, you know, or makes you funny. Yeah, 
like I laughed a lot at that, you know, because it feels like maybe it's true. I don't know how scientific that is. Um, I but don't know. It, I, I feel it, like that sounds accurate. <laughs> there's definitely been some research into it but yeah I I laughed about that and then so it, you know I'm 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 not sure if I figured I'd talk about it with you because this is where empirical evidence you know is originates right this podcast absolutely. right here absolutely, absolutely right here. not absolutely not we are kidding this is not <laughs> fact it's just a joke we're kidding yep. nothing yep. empirical about this okay just lived experience I don't know what do you think so the trauma you've been through either crushes you or makes you funny. I mean, if we just go by the histories of most of our favorite comedians, we man, can guess. Man. We can guess that that's a thing. I don't know. You know, this idea of, I, you know, I always like to start with defining terms. So we got to define yeah. trauma and we got to define yes. character. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a... Uh, when I talk about trauma in, in work, and again, this is not work, this is fun, it's a podcast, it's for entertainment purposes only, but when I talk about trauma at work, I talk about a really hard, rough, scary experience in the absence of resources and support, right? And so I usually give the example that, uh, that if I were in a burning building, that would be traumatic to me. Whereas when a firefighter is in a burning building, that is not traumatic to them necessarily because they have resources and support, right? They, they know what they're doing there. I would not know what I was Thanks. doing there. Thanks. And, and character has to do with, oh, wait, let me finish trauma. Did I say everything I wanted to say about trauma? So an, a, an experience can be negative. It can be scary. It can be horrifying. And a person can come out of that without, you know, what we would define as PTSD because they have the resources that they need to handle that situation. And in the, in the wake of that situation, they have all of the support that they need in order to get through it in a healthy way. That doesn't mean they won't have negative memories about it or whatever, but it won't uh, have this negative effect on their life that goes on forever and ever and ever. Character, as I think about it, is about uh, like the traits that make you, you, right? The, the things that you do, the things that you believe in that guide your behavior. So I do think that trauma can become part of your makeup and, and start to guide your behavior. And then character exists with or without trauma. And so I think the question that we're, that we're thinking about that we're looking at is like, how do you parse out what is just who a person is versus what is determined by what they've been through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I agree. Your character is, is a lot about how, not just by by like how you experience the world or how you see the world, but how you interpret it and what you do with it, right? Like the kind of choices you make based on what you see, understand, experience in the world. And, mm-hmm. and and not just in one situation or one time, but like as a pattern, right? As a right. Right. consistent pa- consistent pattern of how you interact with others, uh, how you move in the world, how you view the world. Um, yeah, and the choices and decisions that, that you make, the way you move, what's more predictably you. And it is interesting that trauma can 
and will impact that, right? We'll color that, we'll, we'll shade that. But trauma doesn't necessarily color and shade all parts equally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and all situations or all settings or all relationships either, right? So, so yeah, parsing out what's trauma like versus like what's your character, and and so then if if you you're traumatized at like a young age, is your character necessarily permanently shifted, and can it shift back? Or yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't well, know, we- Sam. It's we don't talk that. about we don't talk about permanence in therapy because you know everything's changeable, right? Oh but God. to answer the question, to Anything answer the question, movable. if you have absolutely, if you have trauma in early childhood, uh, does that change how you move through the world? Absolutely, a hundred percent. That changes how you move through the world. We make uh, decisions, subconscious decisions, based on our experiences, and in that early stage, especially a pre-verbal stage, when we have experiences, we are, we don't have any, any way to check out those decisions that we're making. Again, I'm talking about mm-hmm. subconscious decisions. Mm-hmm. We don't have any way to check out or, or any comparisons, right? So if we are uh, driving in a car and we have a very big car accident uh, and uh, we make a subconscious decision that, that cars are, are dangerous and scary places to be. That's a subconscious decision that we make. And so now whenever we get into cars, we have some anxiety. If we have that same accident at 21, we may have a lot of fear about cars, but we have a lot of contrary experience that would tell us that cars are generally not dangerous and that this was an exception. But if you have Mm -hmm. that car accident when you're one, you don't have a lot of contrary experience. So, Mm -hmm. and, and you're not having a conversation with anybody about how cars are dangerous or they're not dangerous. So you are making this subconscious decision, this generalization from this one experience that might make you go through the world thinking that cars are, are scary. The funny thing is I saw, I don't know if it was on TikTok or Facebook yesterday. Anyway, there's this kid that comes into the house with a snake and mom is losing her shit. And this kid, this like toddler is holding the snake and this toddler has no, yeah, I see your face. Your face is like, what the fuck, right? This toddler is holding the snake. Well, yeah, this, my this face kid, is like, kids are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he's like proud. Yeah, and, what's and, going and, and nobody's instilled any, exactly. No, no one's instilled any fear in him for snakes. Inherently, they shouldn't be scary, right? Go for it. So this kid is holding the snake bringing this prize to the parent and the parent is losing their shit, jumping on the couch, screaming and, and simultaneously trying to get away from the snake and understanding that they also want to rescue yes. their kid from the snake. And, the and the child. kid's just yeah. looking, yeah, exactly. The kid is just looking just really confused. Like, I don't understand why this is a problem. So this kid has no context for fear of snakes. The parent clearly has a context for fear of snakes. The way the parent responds to this kid and the snake is giving this kid information about how we should react to snakes. Yeah. So initially they're like confused or whatever, but if the mom is like, that snake could have killed you, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was probably like a garden snake that probably couldn't have killed them, but the mom, whatever her context is, uh, she had a different opinion about what the snake is gonna do. And so now this kid is making different decisions about what snakes mean. 
uh, the correct decisions. The kid is now appropriately terrified. That is exactly <laughs> how it should be. Um, but yeah, or not because this child is their parents' worst nemesis, and it's yeah, right. It could be that too. Up all of the reptiles oh and serpentine God. things and bringing them into the house and have a strong curiosity for and desire to be close to at all levels. These uh, creepy, crawly, slithery creatures. That's what's going to happen. Right, right. But that you know that fear is learned. Fear is learned. Yeah. Uh, through scary experiences yeah. that people can can determine to be trauma if they decide to call it that. Um, and then, yeah, over time, that does become part of your fabric. Does that stay forever? Nah, we do. We do therapy with people with anxiety that kind of support them letting go of some fears or whatever, or being less reactive to the fears. But um, if left unchecked, yeah, some very important decisions are made by the time you're five years old. And those are absolutely the blueprint for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, you know, our, uh, our favorite word, resilience, right? <laughs> <sighs> well, first some context about why that's our favorite word. Sarcasm, heavy here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think, really kind of got uh I, I feel like the word resilience became a bit offensive um mm-hmm. to my senses in the last couple of years just because um it, i feel like it became synonymous with like black people in the black experience like like mm-hmm. how strong is synonymous with a black woman i was like i don't want to be strong anymore okay i don't i don't want to be i thought of as strong i don't want to be referred to as strong i want to be characterized as strong i am not right and so resilience to me uh you know it's like two sides of a coin it means that that you have to have experienced some level of hardship or trauma right it it doesn't Mm -hmm. just come on its own that you have to have had some serious struggle strife pain uh, endeavor um to to earn this resilience so i was like i don't want to be resilient either i don't want that resilience uh, and it seems like a, like a, somebody went to Hawaii and all I got was this shitty resilience t-shirt. Like that's how that <laughs> kind of feels. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I really don't want it, you know, it's not nearly enough. Um, but I, I wonder about, you know, like resilience as a part of someone's character. That if someone has this, hmm, like natural or proclivity towards resilience or resiliency. And so, yes, they experience something really hard, painful, scary, uh, traumatizing, and maybe more than one uh, instance of of such kind of uh, circumstances. And they seem more adept at being able to recover, rebound, keep moving forward. Uh, without being completely derailed, it's not as if the situation were less traumatizing, dangerous, scary, terrifying, uh, mm-hmm. but that maybe this person has a naturally higher level of resilience um, as a part of their makeup or their pieces of their character that push them to manage or handle or navigate parts of scary, traumatizing, terrorizing situations make meaning of them in different ways. I wonder about that. And I yeah. wonder about that being something that's just a part of that person's like 
character or are there parts of that person's character that lead them to demonstrate a higher level of resilience? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, let's take a quick break and I'll come back and tell you what I think about that. Hey friends, ever thought about making your very own podcast? Have you avoided it because it seems too complicated or you don't think you have the right equipment? Or maybe you spent all your Biden bucks on an air fryer and then a Peloton. Well, maybe you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. If you're like us, a busy professional, and you don't have fancy equipment, you need to make this podcasting thing as easy as possible. Anchor is definitely a one-stop shop for all of your podcast needs. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. We taught our non-tech savvy selves how to record, add music, take out the dead space, and all that awkward stuff we wish we hadn't said. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcasts on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. But you got to tell them the best part of Dia. Oh yeah, Anchor is totally free. How much? <laughs> That's right. It's totally free. All right. Do it now. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Anchor.fm. Go there now. I want to, I have some thoughts on your question. Your question being, uh, are some people just naturally more resilient? So to answer that question, I'll say, I believe very strongly that resilience is uh, kind of nurtured. It's not an innate skill. We either learn to be more resilient or we don't learn to be more resilient, but we all have the capacity to be more resilient. I think that uh, a lack of adversity in life causes people to be a bit less resilient. But then there's also, there's also like, are we talking about a person that's resilient or are we talking about a person who is dissociated or avoidant or in denial, you know? So you can be really resilient in that you actually have figured out a way to move through negative experiences in a way that, that promotes uh, what they call post-traumatic growth. Um, or you could be a person who just kind of acknowledge or fails to acknowledge that bad things have happened. You know, like toxic positivity people, for example. That's the way to do it. Just ignore <laughs> anything bad that happens and keep plowing just dissociate. through. I will take a cup of that, please. <laughs> please, yes, or, thank you. <laughs> or you can do the work, you can deal with oh, it, you can man. do the hard thing, um, and then and then grow through it. My favorite model of resilience uh, is from Ken Ginsberg, and I I want to go back before I talk about Ken Ginsberg stuff. I want to go back to what you said about you know the myth of the strong black woman or or the truth of the strong black woman, but the, but the dangers of the strong black woman. There was a meme that I saw and there's this like black woman uh, in a lake or something and she's starting to sink and she's got her hand up in the air and in every frame, she's sinking lower and lower until all you can see is her hand. And then somebody gives her a high five and says, you're so strong. And she's like, yes, I've help seen that. That's so horrific. Me. Help me, help me, <laughs> help me, please. Help me. You know? And that, that just feels like the lived experience of lots of, lots of Black women in this world. And I saw another 
meme. It was it was actually like a like a flyer that was posted somewhere in New Orleans. Um, and it said something like, stop calling us resilient because when you call us resilient, it gives you permission to do more bad shit to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so it doesn't, resilience does not really take a preventative stance, right? It takes a reactive stance. It takes a responsive stance. Mm-hmm. And that is frustrating because if you just say, you know, those kids are, we could, you know, I work in foster care, as you know, we like move children without letting them say goodbye to people and you know, I don't, but other people in the system move children without letting them say goodbye to people, you know, cut off visits with their families because it's too hard or because, you know, there's a pandemic and we have to be safe. And I get that, but we are mm-hmm. like destroying families in this process. And, and people say shit like, well, they're really resilient. Kids are really resilient. I know it's hard, but they're really resilient. And it really is permission to do things to people that are not okay to do because we're going to say they're it's okay, okay because they're really resilient. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get back to Ginsburg. Yeah, what I heard them saying is like, they're not really that human. So we don't really have to worry about those kinds of things. Absolutely. Because only humans Absolutely. would have to worry about that type of thing. And this, right. this particular individual is not a full human. And so we don't have to worry about those kinds of things with them. Right. The right. It's a, it's a really, it's a really, really it Sounds like system. fucking coded, like you said, coded language. Uh-oh, we're getting ready to have a moment in this fight. Okay, sorry, <laughs> please continue. Oh, it's a really broken system. And people, yeah. people feel really stuck. And I think that the way that they allow themselves to, to deal with how, much, how, much, how many limits we have and how many barriers are, are in the way of us doing what we think is right is by reminding ourselves that the kids are really resilient. But anyway, uh, Ginsburg, Kenneth Ginsburg uh, is, writes my favorite model of resilience. And he talks about the seven Cs. And if we're working with a kid, or a person who's not very resilient, then we work on supporting them and building up whichever of the seven C's that are missing or that are not as strong as they need to be. And this is how we help people get more resilient. So since I mentioned them, I'll tell you what they are. Competence, which is the ability to do something well. Confidence is the knowledge that you have the ability to do something well. Connection is relationships, obviously. Character is your sense of right and wrong. Contribution is the ability to uh, pour good into the world, to be helpful in some way. Coping is the ability to handle and manage stress. And then control is the ability to make choices. So when we are working with kids and we see somebody or a family in any way, and we see somebody that does, uh, seems to have a hard time getting through hard times, we assess like which one of these is there a struggle with and how can we support them in building, building this and empowering in one of these areas. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of logical sense. Um, and this model should be expanded towards, yeah, I mean, people are gonna be like, that sounds like socialism. Um, but <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's a more defining statement of their own character and, you know, and not of everyone else's. Um, yeah, so, I'm, you know, in everyday life, in everyday life, not in, you know, work or practice, when, when we're feeling a certain way about um, how we're impacted by others, who we, who we move with, you know, how, who we roam with, uh, and your head tilts to the side and you're wondering like, hmm, is that trauma or their character? Um, I'm wondering how people, how you navigate those kind of situations. I think 
for me and uh, a bit of a stream of consciousness. And it depends on the relationship. I might just outwardly ask, you know, like, what happened to you, you know, or. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you, <laughs> I have these two new staff members, these two new therapists that started last week. And I was supposed to meet with them. And one of them wanted to know, like, how long is this meeting going to last? Because I have a thing, a personal thing that I have to get to after the meeting. And so they, who both started on the same day, have become fast friends. And one of them asked the other one, do you think it's okay if I ask Aisha how long this meeting is going to last? And the other one responded, who hurt you? Who hurt you that made you think you can't ask how long is this meeting going to last? And so they had to tell me that when we started our meeting, because she did ask, you know, are we going to be done by 1.30 because I have a thing? And I just yeah. thought it was funny that she was like, who hurt you? Who hurt you? Who hurt you? That is like the funniest thing, but also like the realest, deepest cutting question. Like, um, how much time do you have? You know, like, <laughs> that is a real one. And uh, upon self-reflection, I'd like to share some things with you. Um, yeah, so sometimes, you know, depending on how somebody shows up in the world, I might just ask like, what happened to you? You know, like who hurt right, you? Right. Um, because that does, does, that does, just does not jive, you know? And, or I might feel surprised by the way you're showing up because maybe that's not the way that I've experienced your character previously. And, you know, maybe that's more about me than it is about them uh, in that particular situation. <laughs> yeah. Or people that I really admire, right. Or just enjoy being around them. You know, they're yeah. funny or uh, really confident or super intelligent or engaging. Um, there might be things that give me pause and make me consider, you know, how they became that way or uh, how that part of their personality really shines or, or stands out depending on the, the setting. So I find myself thinking about those things when people have disclosed obviously more about their life that uh, right. would, would warrant wondering about trauma versus like character. So experiences cause us to make decisions. Uh, like I said, largely unconscious, subconscious decisions. Uh, so I go to the ice cream store, I have strawberry ice cream, and I'm three years old, it's delicious, this is the first time I've ever had ice cream before, I assume that ice cream is delicious, I don't even know that there's like a flavor out there called licorice that's disgusting, so I just assume <laughs> that all ice cream is delicious, delicious or I am yeah. I am one year old and I live in a house where there's lots of violence. I just assume that every household has lots of violence and I move through the world making decisions to protect myself from that violence. Or I move through the world moving in the direction of delicious ice cream because I don't recognize that some of it is, is gross. And those experiences lead us to make decisions about how the world is. And until we have sufficient and significant counter evidence to that, we just believe that. And if our if our internal working model, our worldview is that the world is a safe and happy place, then we move through the world with the confidence of a person who believes that the world is a safe and happy place. That's a decision that's made very, very early. And unless something happens in our life that disrupts that, uh, we just move through the world with that belief. Now, something could happen that disrupts that, and we might be a person that sees that negative experience as an exception, or we might be the person that, that you know, because of our temperament, we, we just been waiting for the other shoe to drop our whole lives. 
So when that negative <laughs> yeah. experience happens, then we're like, see, yeah. there it is. There is proof. Confirmation. Exactly. That the world is it. a horrible place. Exactly. Or, or something terrible happens and we see that as an exception because all of our other evidence is to the contrary. So mm-hmm. as we're not therapists in this podcast, we're just two women sipping tea early in the morning. But as <laughs> therapists, if we were uh, therapists, uh, we would recognize that there's work that can be done that kind of rewires that thinking mm-hmm. so that you can question that evidence, whether or not mm-hmm. your experience is really what the world is like, you know? Exactly. And yeah, exactly. for some is of there, us- Is there room? Yeah. Yeah. Is there room to think about this in a different way? So mm-hmm. yeah, experiences are absolutely the building blocks for our character, for our personality, for who we are. And if, and if that experience has been largely negative and we're going to move through the world in a way that recognizes that our experiences have told us that we have to think about the world a certain way and work can be done, I think, to make it so that, again, you question that evidence and you think about the world uh, in a more balanced and reasonable and fair way. Yeah. So sometimes trauma crushes you and it makes you funny, is what I'm hearing. (laughs) Sometimes it crushes you and it makes you funny. I am curious about those people who go to to funny. I'm guessing that there's some level of of, uh, avoidance, right? Like this is how, that's my coping skill of those Cs. My coping skill is to laugh at the absurd. Yes, is to laugh at the absurd, is to some on some level just like, and part of it is like radically accepting it also, right? It's like, right. it's here, I'm here, and I can choose to move forward because I've been to the place where I've hit maybe despair, and I didn't move forward, and that was really awful. And so to not go there anymore, I propel myself forward with laughter, with levity, with bringing others in maybe also though like you know we know that humor makes unpalatable conversations more palatable and makes it more appropriate to discuss things that are taboo um and so i think like that's another piece of it as well when we see people who are comedians really successful ones talking about really dark and uh uh topics very very uh confidently if i should say um that those are the those that's one of the skills that's one of the tools that you use to bring it into a public sphere to make it a public discourse to require others to to pay attention is that you've captivated them by using some high level of you know skill in in, in employing sarcasm and humor and making human connections um, in the dialogue or storytelling um, that before you know it you're in the midst of having to explore your own character. Right, you're in the midst of having to maybe even identify some of your own historical trauma. Um, so, I, I I think that you know the use of humor is somewhat of an adaptive skill, um, and for some, it can be you know a crutch to lean on to mm-hmm. avoid to um, avoid really kind of making meaning of or processing the hurt um, and the fears that you might have. But yeah, I think it can be it can, it can totally be an adaptive tool to create space to process and talk about things that are really hard, scary, and painful. So yeah, I, I can see how 
trauma can crush you and make you funny. Like not one or the other, but a little bit of both. Uh, maybe if you're quote unquote lucky. Yeah. Hmm. There's the, the old uh, adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Makes what you are stronger, your thoughts on yeah. that one? Um, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I, I don't know if you're getting stronger. I think it's that resilience word again. And I don't know if stronger is what it was cracked up to be, you know. Um, what doesn't kill you might leave you crippled <laughs> and and forever broken also. You know, you may not be better than you were before. You may be um, remarkably, uh, in, you know, defeated and yeah so I don't know I don't necessarily think it makes you stronger I think it's I think that that is um some level of coaching to try to encourage people to persevere through hard things and find ways to develop resilience but I don't think that it's 100 percent true I think it's just something that we say to pick yourself up and dust yourself off you're okay you're fine uh instead of being able to create space to hold people's pain and have them acknowledge their own pain and decide what they want to do with it and and empower them to to act on the choice that they do have because um, you don't always have a ton of choice in things so yeah I, I agree I, I think it's some I think it's some bullshit I think that we are we <laughs> collectively people are really bad at comfortably holding other people's pain and so we come up with these cliches that make it easier to like I don't, I don't actually have to think about what you're saying. I don't actually have to feel with you. I don't actually have to craft a response that is, is relevant to what you're saying. I just have all of these, like, you know, he's in a better place and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and God mm -hmm. won't give you more than you can handle. Like there's all this shit mm -hmm. that we say because we are so uncomfortable with other people's pain that we... Yeah that we script our responses to other people's pain and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger feels like that scripting to me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, that's more, I think a reflection of their own level or, you know, level of like resilience um, or maybe here we go with the resilience or the character piece. It's like, it's more about their belief that if I, if I sit in it or I acknowledge it, that might lead to wallowing and if I wallow I won't be mm. able to crawl out of that hole you know I'll just feel despondent and um yeah how uh how scary is that son? so but I do think um I think that this was fun to think about and I am very curious about what other thoughts are regarding if uh, something is trauma uh, or can be assigned to someone's trauma experiences or should be assigned to their character. Um, what you, what are people's experiences uh, and their thoughts on it is, is really what I want to know. I want to, I want to ask the folks listening, listening and giggling, um, mm -hmm. what you think and um, how you make sense of how others move through the world or questions you have about their their patterns of behavior and how you feel like you might rule out whether or not it's somebody's character is just who they are or if something better explains the way that they show up.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to leave folks with uh, with looking inside. Are there ways that you move through the world that are largely uh, unhelpful or unhealthy to you that you can tie back to an experience that you had a long time ago? Mm-hmm. And if that if that is problematic for you, uh, are you willing and able to do the work that might help you to think about that experience a little bit differently and make sense of it in a way that is actually more supportive to your success and growth right now than the way you're currently moving through the world? Mm-hmm. So I'm saying go to therapy. That's what I'm saying. Because I shouldn't even therapy. therapy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's not easy, and this isn't therapy. This is just uh, mostly for shit and giggles. Uh, yes. So this is a but this is a space that might spark some uh, interest in that self reflection and and insight development. So we encourage you to go to therapy, find you a good therapist, and hold on tight. Yeah, Thank you absolutely. so much for listening. Thank you so much for your time in the chat today, Miss Aisha. I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, in that garden that you're creating I can't wait to come see it get dirty I'm about to get in some water today I'm about to get my hair wet there you go there you go it's hot I love that don't swim all right lady it's always wonderful talking to you friend see you soon okay take care Now you know that was better than journaling. So go ahead and give us a five-star review and share us with your friends.